back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time they'll do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Alright, coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 21st day of February, President's Day. For those of you who have the day off, much like myself, yay. That's all I can say. Not working on a Monday is, you know, just awesome. An awesome feeling. Uh, Hope you all had a great weekend, uh, a weekend that was spent celebrating the history of the NBA, because I've always said this, the no one does it better than the NBA when it comes to their all-star weekend, when it comes to, you know, celebrating their history, celebrating their past, as we saw with uh, the revealing or the introducing of the 75th anniversary team uh, over uh, All-Star Weekend you know, during halftime last night. It, it sucked that you had you know, certain stars who were not there, who were unable to make it. I mean, in the case of someone like Bill Russell, I guess you can understand it because he's kind of... Uh, you know, getting up there in age and probably doesn't want to travel around as much. But for guys, you know, of more modern ilk, you would have figured that they would have loved that time to shine. Especially the likes of, you know, Russell Westbrook. Uh, you know, I know AD uh, is injured, but you, you figured that he, there would have been more than just a picture of him on the screen, even you know, a guy like Larry Bird, I was surprised that we didn't see him there. But it was cool how they divided that up. Um, first introducing the forwards, then the centers, and then the guards. Of, co- of course, you know why they did it that way. So they could introduce the GOAT, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Happy birthday, MJ. Um, last amongst all of the players, but it, it was a cool scene there just to see so much uh, greatness uh, group there together, the camaraderie, the the love amongst the brotherhood that they showed there. That Now, it wasn't completely kumbaya. You would, you, at some point, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett have to get over it when it comes to Ray Allen leaving the Celtics to go f- to the Miami Heat eight years ago. I mean, the fact that they still hold a grudge about that is kind of ridiculous. Uh, you, you figure at some point they would make that, that, that group won a championship together, but still 
Pierce and Garnett can't seem to bring themselves to, you know, bygones be bygones and act like mature adults about the situation. But when it came to the overall weekend, usually this is a weekend I look forward to. Usually this is a weekend where, you know, especially with the Saturday night activities, you, you look at it and it's all about fun, all about, you know, these players getting a bit out of their comfort zone and we've seen a little bit of their personality. Well, uh, for once, NBA Saturday night was a dud. Yeah, I made that sound effect. That was awful. That was, you know, quite frankly, embarrassing. And first off, I don't know, I don't understand why they switched up the Taco Bell skills challenge to being a team activity. It's always been, you know, an individual's thing. And I liked how they did bracket style tournament with that. Then you have the three point uh, contest, which was won by Carl uh, Anthony Towns. And the, I think the problem with the three point competition, um, unless you're someone from that fan base, you know, not a lot of people know who Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard are. The, the only the only guys that you look at in the in this list and you say, oh yeah, they're amongst the best three point shooters in the sport are Trey Young and Patty Mills. Other than that, you know, CJ McCollum's a pretty good three point shooter in his own right, but other than that, you, you know had a lot of guys that you've looked at and thought they were out of place, and I guess. You know, Steph didn't want to be part of it this year. You know, wanted to give someone else a, a chance. And you had some of your other guys that are traditionally part of this either hurt or working their way back from injury. But it was a, a lot of, you know, yeah, a lot of guys that, you know, either aren't all-stars or guys that the fans aren't quite familiar with. And then, of course, you have the part that completely dragged the night down. We've been saying for a while the slam dunk competition has been going downhill, but for Christ's sake, that was that was pitiful. That was embarrassing. Uh, the, the, the fact that these guys, it's taking them, what, set, six, seven, eight attempts to make a dunk and that you had not one dunk that was worthy of a 50-pointer. See, the problem with this is about six years ago, Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon set a standard in uh, the dunk contest with arguably the most spectacular dunk contest we've ever seen that these players have either been unable or afraid to follow up with it. And the other big problem is especially with this generation, I don't quite understand why this has become the case. But we don't get the stars in the slam dunk contest. You get a lot of, you know, this year it was Cole Anthony, uh, uh, Toscano Anderson, Obi Toppin, and Jalen Green. No, not exactly your, you know, rank, 
you're even rank and file of this league. Not ex- not exactly, you know, Zach Levine versus Aaron Gordon. Hell, not even getting one all-star amongst this group. Just a bunch of the, you know, second and third year kind of players uh, getting in this. And I was thinking about this the other night. I was chatting with my brother and a friend of ours. They should really set the slam dunk contest where you have to have either be an all-star that year or have previously been an all-star to be involved in the slam dunk contest. Because otherwise, this is just flat out a waste of our time and you know, really not having anyone care about something that used to be joyful, used to be a big moment as far as All-Star Weekend is concerned. Now, last night, when it comes to the All-Star game, what an incredible show put on by Steph Curry. I know, you know, there's going to be the naysayers. There's going to be that guy out there. There's There always is amongst the crowd who will be the old man on their front lawn screaming and hollering about there being no defense. Bro. No, it it hasn't been that way. It, there hasn't been defense in the All-Star game end-to-end for the full 48 minutes in years. These guys are not going to go all out 100% guarding someone uh, 94 feet up and down the court in a game that has no meaning on their season. This is about the fans. This is about celebrating the game. This is about you know seeing matchups that... We normally don't get to see seeing guys team together that we normally don't get to see. That's why I liked a, a couple of years ago when they switched it up to this format with the it, instead of it being East versus West, have LeBron and KD, who are usually the top vote getters in this thing, have them pick the teams and do it schoolyard style like that. And then changing it up a couple of years ago where Each quarter, um, the score gets reset and the winning uh, squad that quarter has a certain amount of money go to the charity of their choosing. Then adding on the total score at the end with the, the tribute to Kobe Bryant with the not just having it be the total score at the end of three, add 24, and that's your target score, but naming the MVP award after him. Thought that was uh, very good, but no, Steph was just awesome. He was ridiculous in that third quarter where it was, you know, what, five or six consecutive times down the court. He was just draining these insane three-pointers. And now it, you know, it's definitely sets him and the Warriors up for uh, a good second half to the season where hopefully they'll get Draymond Green back at some point. Uh, they sit there six and a half games behind uh, the Suns in the Western Conference. The Suns who have just been ridiculous heading into uh, the All-Star break, uh, winning 21 out of their last 24 games. But now the Suns have been dealt a little bit of a chink in their armor uh, with uh, losing Chris Paul for likely the rest of the regular season due to a, uh, a fracture in his right thumb, which brings up the question, even though he was only out there for a minute and a half, 
why the hell did he participate in the All-Star game last night? And Barkley was all over this in the first half. The, you know, the, there's still the risk of making this worse and potentially knocking him out for the rest of the regular season. Not just the rest of the regular season, but into the uh, postseason. Now, now, it takes uh, something away from Phoenix and opens uh, the door a bit for the, the Warriors to potentially play a little bit of catch-up on them and try and get that one seed in the Western Conference. But I think, you know, you look at the West, there is a clear divide in the Western Conference where in the East, things are kind of crowded up top. In the West, there's definitely a divide. It's, you know, Phoenix, it's Golden State, and I guess if you want to throw Memphis in there with the insane season that John Morant um, is having, be my guest. But it's those three teams, and then it's pretty much everyone else. I and mean, Utah's pretty good. We'll, we'll see how Dallas does. You know, Luka's been on this insane stretch uh, in his last four games, averaging 41s and Ironically, that coming ever since they uh, traded Kristaps uh, Porzingis. But uh, you look at some of the other things going on in the sport here. Now, are the Nuggets are are they going to be able to get Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back in time for the postseason? Because I don't think you can have those guys just parachute back in in the postseason and think everything's going to be. Uh, Oh, oh, grand and dandy for the Denver Nuggets, who currently sit in the sixth spot, just two and a half ahead of uh, uh, the Timberwolves, avoiding the playoff situation. These guys need to get some game action in here. They can't just, you know, have their first game action in the case of Porter in six months in the postseason, or in the case of Jamal Murray in over a year during the NBA playoffs. Got to get some kind of chemistry going with them and the Joker if they're going to have any chance to make some noise in the playoffs. You also look at the bottom of the, the West. Who's going to be that team that passes Portland for the final play-in spot? Now, is it San Antonio? Is it the Pelicans? Because you know, Portland, by their actions, they've kind of given up on this season. And you don't know how much you're really going to get at a Dame Lillard going forward for the rest of the season. This could be a situation like you had three years ago. Remember when uh, the Pelicans were preparing to trade Anthony Davis and he wasn't playing back-to-backs. They were limiting him to 25 minutes per night before ultimately trading him that coming off season. I think you could see that very same thing happen here with the Trailblazers when it comes to Dame Lillard and his future there because it, it's clearly not going to be in Portland beyond this season. Then you look at the East. Of course, a lot is going to hinge on James Harden's eventual debut with the uh, 76ers and how quick he can gel with that team and you know him and... Uh, Joel Embiid can, no, I don't want to say coexist because they they seem very friendly. It doesn't, it it doesn't seem like there's going to be one of these, you know, I'm the alpha male and you're my uh, Robin kind of situation. 
but how well they can gel together um, and make this thing work in Philadelphia. And whether, you know, James Harden, who's clearly been out of shape for 13 months now, whether his body is going to betray him again down the uh, stretch of the season. Also, you look at the, the Cavaliers, you know, they made moves to show their team, their their young squad that uh, they believe in them. But this is the first time that the this young core group has been through something like this. First time that they've been a a winning team this late into the season. And as we currently sit here, they're fourth in the Eastern Conference. You know, a lot of people will compare them to last year's Knicks squad. Difference is they're doing this in front of fans, whereas the Knicks not only were doing dealing with a kind of pandemic shortened season, but there were, remember, a lot of teams that were dealing with issues. The Heat had um, injuries. Toronto wasn't playing um, any games in Canada. So the, you know, they had everything seemingly break their way. I think Cleveland's going to make the postseason. I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to last in that top four for the entire year. You know, the Bucks they made moves at the deadline, including getting Ibaka. Uh, is that going to be enough, or are they going to uh, get back the likes of uh, Pat Connaughton and Brooke Lopez before the po- postseason to have any kind of impact holes. Brooke Lopez is going to be healthy for them at all this year. That's why I said last week, I thought the Ibaka trade was the most important trade made at this year's deadline. And then, of course, when it comes to my team, a a situation that we have no control over whatsoever, and that's whether New York City Mayor Eric Adams is going to make any edits any updates to the vaccination mandates and allow Kyrie Irving to play in postseason games at the Barclays Center. Because as of right now, you know, you look at the Nets, they have remaining on the schedule. They have they have 23 games left in their regular season schedule and of those 23 only eight of them are at home or eight of them are on the road excuse me so that means there's only eight possible chances remaining for Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant and eventually Ben Simmons to play together before the regular season ends if, if the Nets are going to have any chance in the postseason, you need Kyrie Irving to play home games in the playoffs. It can't be half in, half out, uh, like we've seen uh, for the better part of the last two months now. And let's face it, Kyrie would still be sitting at home if not for injuries, uh, the fact that the Nets went through a COVID scare uh, at the end of December, and the James Harden trade there. So... There's a lot of storylines to to look at when it comes to the remainder of this season in the NBA. As we go down the, the stretch run here, going to be fun to watch and you know, stinks 
we have to wait till Thursday now for all of this uh, to get started, but I can't wait. I'm, you know, the, this has been a fun year with the dominance you've seen out west with the, the Suns, Warriors, and the Memphis Grizzlies, and just how close everything is in the east. Because one good week, you could jump from six to, to one or two. One bad week, you could fall all the way to the play-in scenario. And that's what we love about sports, that never-knowing, unexpected of event that could occur at any time. All right, a lot I want to get to for the next about 40 minutes here. Uh, give some thoughts on some injuries going on in the NBA, as well as some of the comments made by LeBron James over the last week. Um, of course, we've got to mix in some uh, football, some thoughts on Tom Brady, uh, the Rams, uh, Kyler Murray, mix in some baseball as well. So a lot to get to for the next 40, 45 minutes or so here. Um, glad you could join me this week. So please, just sit back, relax, put your feet up if you feel like it, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. I saw the comments made by LeBron uh, the other day. Uh, He was talking, uh, I guess uh, he was doing an interview with The Athletic on uh, the Saturday before the All-Star game talking about you know, his future beyond this year and once again brought up something that I think we've all known for a little while now and that's he intends to continue playing until his son uh uh, LeBron James Jr., or better known as Bronny, makes it to the NBA, saying, quote, my last year will be played with my son. Wherever Bronny is at, that's where I'll be. I would do whatever it takes to play with my son for one year. It's not about money at that point, which is obvious. I mean, you're 
a damn billionaire at the at this point with everything you got going on. But uh, no, you love hearing that. Hearing that. Hearing you know a guy that even at age thirty seven and this late into his career still has goals, still has uh, that fire, that intensity. It's what's made him one of the great competitors in this sport in my lifetime. No matter how much uh, people may want to criticize him for uh, some of the things he does off the court, and, you know, like with the, the decision and some of the things um, he says sometimes. But you can't... Uh, ever question this guy's drive this guy's determination uh when it comes to this sport I and mean, yay he does do the maintenance days every once in a while but when he's out there we get every bit of uh effort energy that lebron james has sometimes to his uh his own physical detriment in the last couple of years but uh to hear that he's got this set as a goal is pretty cool. I, I mean, you wonder how Bronny feels about this because, as we all know, you know, Bronny is, you know, he's a teenager. He turns eighteen in uh, in June, I believe it it is. Uh, will be nineteen in two thousand twenty three, which would make him ineligible for the NBA draft until two thousand twenty four, and still at those teenage years kids have a habit of looking at having their parents around all the time as a drag you know looking for their own self-independence wanted to do their own thing and as much as Bronny loves his dad you know there may be a part of him that says Dad, come on, leave me the hell alone. Let me let me have uh, my own uh, moment. So that now you wonder what internally Bronny thinks about that. Also, when it comes to this, I was thinking about this the other day because you know, I'm always that cynic, always uh, thinking about this kind of stuff. What if Bronny got drafted by the Cavaliers? You know, the, the Cavs, they look like they're on their way to being pretty good over the next four or five years here. But you know, no one knows what kind of prospect uh, Bronny is, whether he's going to be one of these true wonderkins like uh, you know, the Ball brothers were or Durant was uh, coming out of school. Or whether he's just going to be one of your uh, rank-and-file NBA kind of players. But uh, whenever he does come to the league, there's going to be a lot of pressure. Him coming in, being the son of the second greatest player in the history of the sport. But what if the Cavs uh, draft him? Because I know LeBron left the door open about potentially finishing his career with the Cavaliers, you know, if Bronny gets drafted there. But as we all know, when he went back there the second time, it was not all kumbaya between him and Dan Gilbert. Now, it, that felt like, I've said it before, it felt like, you know, that marriage that just stays together to get the ki- to keep the kids help happy and safe. It, it didn't 
you know, it wasn't all lovey-dovey between LeBron and Dan Gilbert. There was still a lot of bitterness and resentment there on both sides. Will it be from Gilbert on how LeBron left and never called and informed the organization? Or LeBron toward Dan Gilbert for the letter that he wrote to the fan base, uh, essentially, essentially throwing LeBron in, verbally throwing LeBron in the garbage. So that'd be a very, very interesting scenario to watch play out. Now, I, I mentioned uh, the Chris Paul injury. Another injury that's going to have a, uh, a detriment on a team for the second half of this season is Anthony Davis, who last Wednesday night in the Lakers' final game of the first part of the season uh, suffered a right ankle sprain. And they could say all they want that, oh, he could be back in four weeks. Let's be honest. This, this guy is probably not going to play again in the regular season. And we've seen the, the the injury history of Anthony Davis where every single year it's something with this guy. Something pops up, whether it's a strained muscle in his legs like last year, back problems, or this where it was just an unlike, unlucky situation. He comes down uh, from a rebound and uh, lands on Rudy Gobert's uh, foot and knocking him out for at least the next month, month and a half. But when it comes to Anthony Davis, you always you know that no matter what a team lists as far as his injury timeline, you always take the longer side of it rather than the shorter side because not only does he get hurt all the time, it take it's slow um, him coming back. Now, I appreciated him trying to play in the playoffs last year in that game six against Phoenix before his uh, hammy finally went bad on him. But, you know, we're not going to see this guy for um, a while, probably until the uh, postseason, if the Lakers make it there at all. Because, you know, the Lakers, the only thing consistent about the Lakers this year is their inconsistency. We've seen them have stretches of winning three or four games in a row and then follow that right up when you think that they've gotten things going and lose three in a row uh, and put themselves right back in a mess. And they're sitting there, Right now, at ninth in the West, four games under 500. They're three and seven in their last uh, ten games. And the the bigger concern I have here is not only have Davis and LeBron not played a lot together in the last two months, but LeBron this month is averaging the most minutes in the league at just over 37 minutes per game. And listen, he's an Adonis. He's a physical anomaly with how he continues to perform at this level this late in his career. But at some point, this number of minutes on any 37-year-old, whether you're LeBron James or not, are going to take a toll. That's why, you know, can you imagine if, we did not have the All-Star Week here. We did not have this break in the action to allow you know, LeBron to have a physical reset here, especially after 
playing deep into the All-Star game last night, you know, wanting to not just get the win, but have what could be his final moment in Cleveland. And you expect that at some point it's going to wear on LeBron James at a time where, you know, you look at this roster. It was a poorly constructed roster to begin with. You, you have no Carmelo Anthony until who knows when. You have no Anthony Davis. Russell Westbrook, uh, the, none of the, the rest of the league wanted, and he's had a terrible season by his standards. I mean, it's been an all-around mess of a kind of year for the Los Angeles Lakers, and now they lose their second-best player, likely for the remainder of the season. And by the way, they have the second most difficult schedule over the remaining uh, portion of this year. Uh, only have three back-to-backs, but they got to play you know, the likes of the Clippers twice. They go play the Warriors. They got to play the Suns again. They, uh, they've got uh, games out east here. I believe they play the Sixers twice. So it's it's going to be a, a a gamut here for this uh, Lakers team over their final twenty four uh, games of the regular season here. But hey, at least at least I still think they have a chance at making the postseason. When it comes to another big market team that I've talked about a lot on here, I think last Wednesday might have been the nail in this team's coffin. And that, of course, being the New York Knicks, who had by far their worst loss of the season against the Brooklyn Nets, who were running out there a squad of secondary and tertiary kind of players against the Knicks at MSG. Because remember, no Kyrie due to the mandate. No Ben Simmons yet. He's still working his way back. We'll see if Durant is ready to go for this coming Thursday, but he's uh, still not available. So they're playing with a team without their big three, still without Joe Harris, had just acquired some new players to uh, join in the mix here. The Knicks had a 28-point lead at one point in this game, including a 20-point lead after the first quarter and still lost that game. And you know what was the biggest sign to me that the Knicks weren't just going to have a rout, weren't just going to have a grand old party last Wednesday night? Because they were way too hot from behind the arc in the first quarter. And the Knicks are not a great three-point shooting team. They're they're right in the middle of the pack when it comes to uh, three-point percentage as far as makes. And they're ninth in the league when it comes to total threes taken in a game. But in that first quarter, they went eight for 11 from behind the arc. The rest of the game, true to form, they went eight for 32 from behind the arc. They fell Way too in love with the three-point shot. Now, Evan Fournier just took another three-pointer as I'm speaking. Now, outside, of, they were without R.J. Barrett. Outside of Julius Randle, who had a pretty 
good game in his own right. None of the Knicks had any consistency that night. And what ended up happening, the Nets started to show some hunger, some fight in the third quarter, get this down to a respectable game. And the youngster, Cam Thomas, was just unconscious in the fourth quarter, uh, putting up 16 points, 21 on the night, and left the Knicks and their fans shell-shocked at Madison Square Garden. You know, you look at, you look at this Knicks squad. This is the third time this month that they have lost a game in which they led by 20 or more points at some point in the game. You know, uh, just days before it, they had that big lead in Portland of days after Portland traded C.J. McCollum, and they blow that lead. Last Monday, they lose a game to the Thunder in which you look at that Thunder roster, it looks like they're rolling out there a bunch of high schoolers right now and lose to the Thunder in overtime. And then blow a 28-point lead to the Brooklyn Nets, who, for the most part, haven't been able to get out of their own way for the last six weeks. It's it's embarrassing what the, the Knicks are. And you know what's the most shameful part of this? They keep going back to acting like, oh, we get Derrick Rose back. Everything's going to be fine. Your season is hinging on a 34-year-old who... If you play anything more than 27 minutes a game, he he's going to fall apart and be lost for two months. You're really betting your season on that? I mean, you look at, they were three games under 500 uh, with Derrick Rose. They've been 12 and 18 since he's been out, and they're optimistic and hopeful that he'll be ready to go when they return to action against the Heat this Friday which will be nine days, nine days after playing uh, that game against the Nets. This is going south for the Knicks very quick. We knew that they weren't the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference. No matter where they finished last year, you figured that, oh, they could still be pretty good, but would probably finish in the bottom half of the playoff seating, maybe in the play-in scenario. But this has just been a disaster, whether it be the lack of defense this team plays, uh, the fact that you know Julius Randle up until recently was always getting in fights, whether it be uh, with the opposition, the fans, or the media, just seemed pissed off all the time for no reason whatsoever, even after getting that big contract extension this past offseason. And this team, no, the they came across as, you know, guys that were feeling themselves too much. The, especially the guys that were here last year, thinking that you could just roll the basketball out there and everything would be fine. Well, guess what? It has not been fine. That's why you're sitting here at 25 and 24 and 34. That's why currently, as we sit here today, you are, oh. Three and a half games back of just making the play-in scenario. And who do you really look at and say, oh, they're going to fall apart in the second half and allow the Knicks an opportunity to get back into things? Especially when you look at look at the first five games out of the break for the, the Knicks. At home on Friday against the Heat. 
Then they play an afternoon game on Sunday against the Sixers before going on a three-game road trip against the Sixers, the Suns, and the Los Angeles Clippers. Their next game where you look at it and say, oh, they could win that game, they should be favored, is against the Kings in about two weeks. But I'm sure the Kings are looking at that and saying, oh, the Knicks, that's a game we can win. I mean, the Knicks are a disgrace right now to watch play the game of basketball. A lot of it lands on Tom Thibodeau for the fact that he is stubborn in the way that he runs his his rotations. There's a portion of it on this front office, which, you know, Rose, Wes, uh, uh, Perry, you know, can we hear from one of you guys every once in a while? They've completely ghosted uh, of the media and the fan base. But a lot of it goes on this team. The players on this team are not as good as we thought they were. You know, Julius Randle, still a good player, not as good as he was uh, last year. Last year was just a insane kind of career year. And R.J. Barrett, just when you thought he was going to get going, he has a an ankle injury that's knocked him out for the last couple of weeks in a blowout uh, time late in a game. Now, the Knicks, you know, after last year being such a wildly successful season and you're hearing Bing Bong go off throughout uh, Madison Square Garden and be enchanted by the fan base, it looks like they are heading straight for Ping Pong territory this year. All right, going to take another break. Come back on the other side. Turn my attention to the NFL with Tom Brady, the Rams, Kyler Murray, and an interesting debate that has come to light in the last week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, this weekend was a successful weekend for LeBron James. Not having his team win the All-Star game again what is it, the fourth or fifth year in a row that he's uh, led his team to a victory in the All-Star game. 
and he had the game-winning shot last night uh, for Team LeBron to win 163-160. to 160. There was one negative thing from this past week that this is the the thing that the LeBron haters will bring up and use as a detriment to his career. You know, the, the Skip Baylesses of the world. And I can understand the suggestion here, but this felt like one of those things where he was trying to make a scenario too much about himself, where he suggested for the Rams Super Bowl parade, it be a combined parade with the Rams, the Dodgers, and the Lakers. Because if you remember, the Lakers and Dodgers won their championships in the in bubbles, and they didn't get to have championship parades uh, in 2020 because of how stringent still things were during the pandemic as far as getting crowds together. And and while I could understand the sentiment, listen, if, if that had, say the Dodgers had won the World Series this year, the Lakers had won their championship uh, in the bubble this past fall, and you had all of this go on in a close uh, gap or a timeline like that, fine. But the fact that it's been, what, 15 months since the Dodgers championship, 15 months since the Lakers championship, it sucks that you didn't get to have a parade, but no, you you got to take the L on that one, LeBron. This is the Rams moment. This is the Rams uh, time as far as celebration. It stinks that you guys didn't get to have uh, that moment, but you know, we'll see if either one of them going forward will get a, another championship with the group as they are presently constituted. Now, believe it or not, there was a lot of talk about the Rams uh, in this last week, not just with their uh, championship parade, but... Now, there was all this speculation still going on with the futures of Aaron Donald and Sean McVay, whether they were going to retire. And all along, to me, it has not made sense, especially with the Sean McVay side of things. Now, on the in the case of Aaron Donald, yeah, he's only 30 years old. But let's not forget that this guy is the best defensive player in the league, widely regarded as one of the top five players in the sport. And while he's still in his prime, he probably takes a beating each Sunday when um, you consider he's getting double and triple team. While he looks in great physical condition, uh, still playing at an all-time high level, a level that we quite frankly, have not seen uh, since Reggie White at the defensive tackle position. No one knows how he's feeling internally. Now, he's still got a couple more years on his contract. I don't think he's going to be passing up being one of the top 10 highest paid players in the sport just to go home and hang out with his kids. So it, it would have been very surprising if he called it quits here. But what would be even more surprising is if uh, Sean McVay retired. Because we've seen players 
all the time retire before we thought they were done. Um, you know, seeing guys in their early 30s just walk away, whether it be because of injury or to avoid injury and wanted to spend more time with the family. But Sean McVay, he's only 36 years old. He seems like a football nutcase. I mean, there's no coach in the sport that has more life to him on the sidelines than Sean McVay. And, you know, even if he were to walk away and go into the broadcast booth, which I'm, uh, I'm sure you'd see Fox and ESPN lining up um, to get his services, you know that after like week three, he'd be doing way too much coach talk. He'd already have the passion and fire to want to get back out there. And of course he wants the opportunity to repeat as a champion because, you know, with Stafford, with the cup, we'll see what they're able to do with some of their other free agents, but you know, the getting Robert Woods back uh, in all likelihood by the start of next season, they definitely have a, shot at repeating next year a shot you know they're going to be considered the favorite in their division they're going to be con- considered amongst the favorites in the NFC so why would you want to leave that when you have it's one thing if you know this was going to be the end of the line for this crew and you know Donald was retiring Stafford was retiring Cooper Cup was moving on but you're still going to have a pretty good squad here for the next several years. Retirement should be the furthest thing from Sean McVay's mind. Now, what we did fear at this time last week has turned out to be true, and that's uh, Odell Beckham retore the ACL in his left knee. And it, no, it stinks for this guy because, A, this is the second time he's had this injury in the last 15 months. Happened in week seven of the 2020 season. But he was set to be a free agent. Been playing so well for this Rams squad since he got here because he became an important figure when seemingly only 72 hours after him signing, Robert Woods went down for the year. And I know that the Rams have talked about bringing him... uh, him back, but he's the big problem here is he's not going to be available for you until at the very minimum November next year. And the doctors have said that with this tear the way it was, he could probably come back sooner than he did uh, with the uh, previous injury. But we are talking about a 30 year old, we are talking about a guy that relies on his speed, relies on his uh, quickness, um, his energy to be uh, an electric player on the field. And you look at with the Rams, wide receiver is not a position that they are extremely desperate with because you got Cup, you got uh, Woods coming back next year. Uh, Van Jefferson is uh, still going to be there. You've got depth at the tight end possession, position and as we know all teams likely draft a wide receiver uh each year in the the draft and no although Beckham wants to come back the Rams have a lot of other things that they have to address on this team Von Miller is a free agent 
in all likelihood, you're probably going to lose Andrew Whitworth to retirement. You got to figure out what you're going to do at the left tackle position. You have two other players on your offensive line that are set to become uh, free agents. Because it's a cap sport, you can't pay everybody, and especially when you have a guy that is likely not going to be available for a majority of the next season. So it, it is a tough decision for the Rams to make here. Now, one thing that sometimes annoys me, or a majority of the time annoys me, is how quick we are in all fashions of life to want to put a label on something or want to make a declaration about something rather than letting the event play out, rather than letting the full story uh, be written. We want to write the ending, want to create the narrative before it's ready to end. And since last Sunday, one of the number one topics I've seen debated on television is Matthew Stafford and whether winning this championship now makes Matthew Stafford a Hall of Famer. While maybe I would not go as far as the comments Richard Sherman initially made about this, I'm 100% on his side. He wrote on Twitter in a response to his ex-teammate Michael Robinson's comments on Good Morning Football on the the NFL Network. Robinson wrote or said, yes, he's a gold jacket, absolutely. The ultimate team goal is to win a Lombardi. Matthew Stafford has, and he was a huge part of winning the Super Bowl. And while all of that is correct, he played great in all of the Rams' uh, playoff games. You know, Richard Sherman brings up a good point here. Uh, you know, saying how Hall of Fames, especially in the NFL here, have kind of become like participation trophies. You know, you look at it, as well as Stafford played all those years in Detroit, he doesn't, he's not on the all-decade team, was never first-team All-Pro, no MVPs, uh, he has only one Pro Bowl appearance to his name, and un- unfortunately for him, he was not the MVP of that Super Bowl. Now, I thought when it came to that, I was very surprised. They, even though he had two touchdowns that they picked Cup, I thought he, it, in my power ranking as far as MVP for that game, I had it Donald, Stafford, and then Cup. But they decided to go the other way around and you now you, you bring up the fact that he was never viewed as the best quarterback in any season in his career wanted to bring up the fact that Mac Matt Ryan has an MVP but I thought that was a little bit unfair especially when you consider that that seemed like a a, a statistic a statistical anomaly like year for Matt Ryan that he's never been able to match. And when you look at some of the other names that have been out there since the the MVP award has essentially become the quarterback's award, look at who he's had to go up against over his career. Manning, Rodgers, Brady, uh, 
Favre was still considered a top quarterback at, at that time um, when he came into the league. There's been the likes of Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson in, in the mix, Ben Roethlisberger. So there's been a lot of names to go up against. Drew Brees. You know, a lot of you know, top quarterbacks in uh, the, this sport at, at that, that time that he's had to outperform. So I'm not going to hold the, the MVPs against him. And while you know, the point has been brought up, you know, if he plays another three or four years at this level, He's a Hall of Famer. And I agree. If you no, know, this year showed that he wasn't just a stats compiler in Detroit, that he's a legitimate good quarterback. But you need more than just what winning one Super Bowl in your first year in a competitive scenario to be a champion. No, if that were the case, then Joe Flacco would have been a Hall of Famer, what, six, seven years ago? And his career has fallen by the wayside since winning that one championship uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. If he plays at this level for the next three or four years and, say, the Rams get back to and win another Super Bowl, then at the end of the day, he will be a Hall of Famer. But right now, he has not done enough. He has not done enough to truly lock in and cement himself as a Hall of Famer in, in my book. Now, now I've seen now people make the comparison with Eli Manning. Now, Eli Manning is going to be a Hall of Famer, but that's mainly because of his two uh, Super Bowls. On the surface, you look at Eli Manning's regular season, he comes across as a bit of a compiler like you might be able to argue the same with with Stafford. But Eli had those two big-time days in the sun against the New England Patriots, and that's what made him from a good career to a career that's going to end in Canton. So while Stafford's on the right track, he definitely has some more work to do. And, you know, before I take a break here... There was a lot of talk about Tom Brady in this last week, of course. In the last uh, edition of his podcast for the year, he talked about how he's just taking retirement day by day. And something struck me when it comes to Tom and that was a clear sign that he's not retired, that he's going to be back. You know what that is? Gronk hasn't announced his retirement yet. Gronk has long said, Tom Brady is the only quarterback I'm going to play for. He's left the door open as far as a return. And no, if Brady was truly retired, was truly moving on, we would have already seen Gronkowski announce his retirement. And now the thing about it is, it financially would not be wise for the Buccaneers if Tom Brady was officially declared retired just yet. Because if if they were to move him or place him on the reserve retired list before June 1st, then it would 
costs $37 million of dead cap space for them in 2022. If they were to trade him after then or he retires after that, it's only $13 million of dead cap space. That's why, you know, we're going to be hearing about these rumors, these rumblings for the next several months, unfortunately, of not only him coming out of retirement, quote-unquote, but also him ending up a San Francisco uh, 49er. Because it sounds like he's, if anything, he's retired from being a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. I mean, I don't know if I completely trust the report by uh, Rich Ornberger uh, last week when he talked about the the rift between Brady and Arians and how Arians would come in and red pen all of the uh, offensive game planning that Brady and Leftwich did. Because remember, this is the same guy that also said that Patrick Mahomes told his fiance and brother not to attend any games next year and Mahomes has already fired back on that. But, ladies and gentlemen, we are in for the off-season of Tom Brady. You know, concerning ourselves, wondering whether a 44, soon-to-be 45-year-old is is going to play or isn't going to play. And we'll see how that does to his popularity in this sport amongst fans and amongst uh people who cover it because remember this playbook was done by Brett Favre the last three or four years of his career and it took a while for people to really warm back up to Favre after that all right gonna take another break here come back on the other side close things out for keeping it sports with M3 I'll be back Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. All right, a few more minutes here, but a couple more things I want to get to before I close out the podcast for this week. Now, first off, Colin Murray. I would rather hear you say less or do less on social media than you coming out with comments, you know, firing back at the reports of your immaturity. Because these comments kind of show immaturity, show that you're sensitive, show that, you know, you can't take the heat when it comes to a little criticism. Not everything, 
every professional athlete should know that not everything is going to be perfect. Not every um, moment in your career. You're going to have those moments where people question you. People are wondering about you, you know, when it comes to your physical performance and how you can rebound from your failures. So, you know, every year, since not every year a, a team's going to have their season end the, the right way, only one team wins that championship and 31 other teams are left either heartbroken or um, trying to find out answers for the next year. Are you going to be posting this every year to, to uh, responding to criticism, responding to um, reports about you not handling failures correctly or you uh, uh, wanting to do a lot of finger pointing? And, and the finger pointing is the thing that gets on me. You know, you win as a team, you you lose as a team, but you're, you know, you're the quarterback of the team. You're viewed as the face of the franchise. Of course, a lot of the pressure is going to be on you. So I just, I really have not liked how this guy has handled things on social media. Uh, you know, it's growing pains. It's things that all young athletes um got to go through but let's be honest you don't see Patrick Mahomes do this on social media you don't see Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson's had some awful postseason games early in his career especially against the Chargers and the Titans you didn't see him react like this you didn't see Josh Allen react like this after blowing 16 point lead uh to the Houston Texans two years ago so now, be better than this, Kyler. Use all of this where you feel like you're being treated unfairly by your organization and by the media as determination to get better rather than just firing off hot takes on social media. Now, quickly, I did see what happened with the whole Jawan Howard situation uh, yesterday where he uh, flipped out and swung a, a hand in the face of one of the assistant coaches on Wisconsin after uh, Michigan's loss to w Wisconsin. And what people don't realize is, A, you're watching this. Uh, Howard had gotten con uh, contact I don't know whether it was a punch or a shove from someone on uh, Wisconsin's coaching staff before this. And then he, as we know, you know, you see the scrum, you never know what someone says to someone else. These guys aren't mic'd up. So someone could have said something to Juwan Howard that he didn't like, that he felt was disrespectful, that kind of set him off. Still gives him no reason to open hand swing at an assistant coach who's you know, four or five inches shorter than him. He's got to be able to control his emotions better because this set off what was a brawl uh, or you know, 
a pushing and shoving matchup, mostly between coaches and players. There were a couple players on each side that threw some punches that will probably get some suspensions. And Howard will probably get the longest suspension of everyone because he's a head coach. He's relied on to set an example and um, not instigate a situation uh, like this. But this all stems from Howard being angry at Wisconsin for using two timeouts in, uh, late in the game, including one situation where uh, a, a Wisconsin walk-on lost his shoe on the court, and they called timeout because there was uh, you know, about four seconds left in the uh, shot clock uh, as far as getting the ball across half court. Um, and... Uh, now, Wisconsin, uh, knowing that – now, remember, the the refs call, uh, stopped the game because the kid lost his shoe. Wisconsin uh, used a timeout because there was only four seconds left, and the 10-second clock didn't reset on that. So, you know, Jawan Howard got a little bit annoyed with uh, the coach, probably was also annoyed over the fact that his team was getting blown out and – Let's face it, this this is not the first time we've seen Jawan Howard erupt like this, unfortunately. He he uh, got into a shouting matchup with Mark Turgeon during the Big Ten tournament last year that got him ejected. Uh, and, you know, this year has not been, you know, a magic carpet ride for Jawan like it was uh, last year. Last year, they were 23-5, and five, uh, were a one seed in the NCAA tournament, uh, finished first in the Big Ten before getting eliminated by UCLA in the Elite Eight. This year, there's a good chance that they don't make the tournament at only 14-11. and 11, And even if they, you know, they're on the bubble right now. And I know that the committee is not supposed to do this, but a moment like this could be in the back of their minds when it comes to choosing between them and another team as far as who gets one of those final few at-large spots in the tournament. Do I think he should be fired from this? No. I, I think everyone is... You know, just wanting to have an instant reaction, a hot take on the moment, and wanting to take their free shots at Juwan because they're having a bad year. But he definitely should serve some sort of suspension. If you you want to sur- suspend him for the rest of the regular season, I'm fine with that because you do have to set a precedent, set an example for all coaches to follow. The one question I got is, why the hell is this still a thing in college basketball, the handshake line? You don't see it in any other form of college or professional athletics, not in baseball, not in football. You know, there's a little congregation in football, both at college and pro after the game between both sides, uh, a little bit in bas- in uh, in basketball as well. But in baseball, we know the ha- only handshake line you do is with your own team after a win. So, no, and each week you see this in high school, there's usually a video out there of some kind of big brawl breaking loose after a high school basketball game. So I'm not sure why this is still a thing in uh, in uh, competitive sports. Now we saw the continuation of the downfall of the career of Matt Harvey uh, 
take place last week when he was called upon to testify in the Eric Cage uh, trial as you know, Eric K was fi- the former at uh, Los Angeles Angels uh, communications director. He was fi- uh, on trial for two uh, felony charges of distributing uh, fentanyl and causing uh, the uh, drug-related uh, death of former Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs back in July of 2019. And K was found guilty on charges of conspiracy to possess um, with intent to distribute a controlled substance and distribution of a controlled substance resulting in a death or seriously bodily injury and faces a minimum of 20 years in prison. And Harvey only spoke because he was granted immunity by the government that he won't be criminally prosecuted um, for anything he admitted to in court. But he did admit to drug use, admitted to using painkillers, and that they were going around the Angels locker room saying that um, he obtained a a painkiller called uh, per... uh, Safet or uh, per set, uh, can't really pronounce this too well. Uh, from uh, K in mid April of 2019, the year he pitched for the Angels, saying that he shared some of those pills with Skaggs and other players. And you now, Harvey now faces a scenario where if any team is willing to sign him, he probably won't be available until sometime in later June because MLB is going to investigate, but he could be immediately suspended for at least 60 days um, if this admission in court qualifies as distribution under MLB's uh, drug policy. Now, they got to agree to their new drug policy um, in a uh, CBA because, remember, as we've seen, the drug uh, the joint drug agreement between MLB and the Players Association ran out uh, about a week ago and sets you know, a bad sign for the early start of this season when it comes to guys doing who knows what. But, you know, this is just another example of how things have just gone completely downhill for Matt Harvey. Now, he, he not only admitted to using that, he admitted to... You know, cocaine use. He he admitted that he he was on coke, and now unfortunately for MLB, that's not something you can test for. Now, as we've seen in uh, the last week, former Mets manager Terry Collins has come out in interviews and admitted admitted that you know back in you know 2016, 17, there was some serious concern for Matt that. They knew they he was doing some things, things that couldn't be tested for, and he refused their help each time. I guess we could see why now his career with the Mets fell apart. Because think about it. This guy was the toast of the town in 2013. He, you know, 
just exploded upon the scene, started for the National League in the All-Star game at City Field, had a great rookie campaign before blowing out his elbow and missing all of 2014, came back in 2015 and pitched great. Had Remember that April start against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium where he came back out for the ninth inning uh, just because he wanted to make the moment about himself, but... He no pitched even around a lot of controversy late in that season that was brought up by himself and Scott Boris when it comes to the whole innings limit coming off Tommy John surgery. But he pitched well in the postseason. Would have been a hero if not for that uh, implosion by um, himself, Familia, and the Mets defense in the, the ninth inning of Game Five because. They win that game. Who knows what happens when you get back to Kansas City? You would have had DeGrom and Syndergaard on the mound for uh, potential game six and seven of uh, that series. But since then, it's all been come shattering down um, hill for Matt Harvey. You had the thoracic outlet syndrome um, in 2016. 2017, he was just kind of eh. And then 2018, the... The Mets uh, DFA'd him, and he's kind of danced around the league since then between uh, you know, the Reds, some time with the Angels, most recently uh, with uh, the Baltimore Orioles last year where he was you know, um, mediocre at best. This, you know, Quite frankly, this feels a, a lot like Doc Gooden's career. Now, he was never as dominant as Doc was early on, but off the field stuff, no, and not being, unfortunately, not being able to control yourself and developing a drug problem, that's what has become the the storyline of Doc Gooden's life and led to the downfall of him being a star in New York. And unfortunately, we've seen the same thing happen with Matt Harvey. Now, this week is a big week in Major League Baseball because we've already seen the first week and a half or so of spring training games has been canceled. Through March 5th, they have canceled spring training games. And the league told the Players Association that by their estimate, a deal's got to be done by a week from today in order to start the season on, on time. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that you're going to see the baseball season start on on time. Now, I was texting a buddy of mine last week, um, my best friend Brian. I'm like, Brian, at this point, what happens first? Baseball starts, you get married in June, or I shave the facial hair that I've been growing recently. And right now, I would say the order of that is going to be Either the beard goes or he gets married and baseball's in a distant third because it doesn't sound like they're anywhere close to a deal, especially with how they argue about the financials. Now, you hope cooler heads prevail because starting today, they're, they're going to hopefully meet every day, not only meet every day, but twice a day every day to try and hash something out because we knew that this was going to get done at the final hour. Well, you're not just at the final hour. You, you know, the, 
the clock is ticking down to midnight. You know, more and more, you continue to make yourselves look like complete a-holes on both sides of the aisle. Not just the owners, the players as well. The players, I understand they're wanting to set up the CBA for not just themselves, but future uh, generations, players in the future. But they're trying to ask for everything all at once. And the owners are just being a bunch of uh, cheap old uh, you-know-whats by how they're not willing to grow the uh, the luxury tax, wanting to just continue to placate to the small market teams who are, you know, not willing to spend the big bucks. I mean, all the way around, this kind of makes you sick to your stomach as a baseball fan, and you really do wish that there was a better answer to this all, and that instead of talking about money, talking about whether the season starts on time, we're previewing the season and talking about any remaining free agents still out there. And that, my friends, is Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, February 21st, 2022. Everyone have a great night. Have a great week. Please stay safe from whatever you're doing. And I'll talk to you again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.